0: Black Beauty, the Autobiography of a Horse By Anna Sewell, English Quaker, 1820-1878 to 37. The Golden Rule Two or three weeks after this, as we came into the yard rather late in the evening, Polly came running across the road with the lantern, She always brought it to him if it was not very wet. It has all come right, Jerry. Mrs. Briggs sent a servant this afternoon to ask you to take her out tomorrow at eleven o'clock. I said yes, I thought so, but we suppose she employed someone else now. Well, said he, the real fact is, Master was put out because Mr. Barker refused to come on Sundays, and he has been trying other cabs. "'But there's something wrong with them all. "'Some drive too fast and some too slow, "'and the mistress says there is not one of them "'so nice and clean as yours, "'and nothing will suit her but Mr Barker's cab again.' "'Polly was almost out of breath, "'and Jerry broke out into a merry laugh. all come right some day or night. "'You were right, my dear. "'You generally are. "'Run in and get the supper, "'and I'll have Jack's harness off "'and make him snug and happy in no time.' After this, Mrs. Briggs wanted Jerry's cab quite as often as before. Never, however, on a Sunday. But there came a day when we had Sunday work, and this was how it happened. We had all come home on the Saturday night very tired and very glad to think that the next day would be all rest, but so it was not to be. On Sunday morning, Jerry was cleaning me in the yard when Polly stepped up to him, looking very full of something. "'What is it?' said Jerry." Well, my dear, she said, poor Dinah Brown has just had a letter brought to say that her mother is dangerously ill and that she must go directly if she wishes to see her alive. The place is more than ten miles away from here, out in the country, and she says if she takes a train she should still have four miles to walk. And so weak as she is, and a baby only four weeks old, of course that would be impossible.' and she wants to know if you would take her in your cab, and she promises to pay you faithfully, as she can get the money. Tut tut, We'll see about that. It was not the money I was thinking about, of losing our Sunday. The horses are tired, and I am tired too. That's where it pinches. It pinches all round, for that matter, said Polly, for it's only half Sunday without you. But you know we should do to other people as we should like they should do to us. And I know very well what I should like if my mother was dying. And, Jerry dear, I am sure it won't break the Sabbath, for if pulling a poor beast or donkey out of a pit would not spoil it, I am quite sure taking poor Dinah would not do it. Why, Polly, you are as good as the minister. And so, as I've had my Sunday morning sermon early today, you may go and tell Dinah that I'll be ready for her as the clock strikes ten. But stop just step round to butcher Braden's with my compliments and ask him if he would lend me his light trap. I know he never uses it on the Sunday, and it would make a wonderful difference to the horse. Away she went, and soon returned, saying that he could have the trap and welcome. All right, said he. Now put me up a bit of bread and cheese, and I'll be back in the afternoon as soon as I can. And I'll have the meat pie ready for an early tea instead of for dinner, said Polly, and away she went while he made his preparations to the tune of Polly's The Woman and No Mistake, of which tune he was very fond. I was selected for the journey, and at 10 o'clock we started in a light, high-wheeled gig, which ran so easily that after the four-wheeled cab it seemed like nothing. It was a fine May day, and as soon as we were out of the town, the sweet air, the smell of the fresh grass, and the soft country roads were as pleasant as they used to be in the old times, and I soon began to feel quite fresh. Dinah's family lived in a small farmhouse up a green lane, close by a meadow with some fine, shady trees. There were two cows feeding in it. A young man asked Jerry to bring his trap into the meadow, and he would tie me up in the cow shed. He wished he had a better stable to offer. "'If your cows would not be offended,' said Jerry." There is nothing my horse would like so well as to have an hour or two in your beautiful meadow. He's quiet, and it would be a rare treat for him. Do and welcome, said the young man. The best we have is at your service for your kindness to my sister. We shall be having some dinner in an hour, and I hope you'll come in. Though with mother so ill, we are all out of sorts in the house. Jerry thanked him kindly, but said as he had some dinner with him, there was nothing he should like so well as walking about in the meadow. When my harness was taken off, I did not know what I should do first, whether to eat the grass or roll over on my back or lie down and rest or have a gallop across the meadow out of sheer spirits at being free. And I did all by turns. Jerry seemed to be quite as happy as I was. He sat down by a bank under a shady tree and listened to the birds. Then he sang himself and read out of the little brown book he is so fond of, then wandered round the meadow and down by a little brook where he picked the flowers and the hawthorn and tied them up with long sprays of ivy. Then he gave me a good feed of the oats which he had brought with him, but the time seemed all too short. I had not been in a field since I left poor Ginger at Earl's Hall. We came home gently, and Jerry's first words were, as we came into the yard, Well, Polly, I have not lost my Sunday after all, for the birds were singing hymns in every bush, and I joined in the service. And as for Jack, he was like a young colt. When he handed Dolly the flowers, she jumped about for joy. 38. Dolly and a Real Gentleman Winter came in early, with a great deal of cold and wet There was snow, or sleet, or rain, almost every day for weeks, changing only for keen driving winds or sharp frosts. The horses all felt it very much. When it is a dry cold, a couple of good thick rugs will keep the warmth in us, but when it is soaking rain, they soon get wet through and are no good. Some of the drivers had a waterproof cover to throw over, which was a fine thing, but some of the men were so poor that they could not protect either themselves or their horses, and many of them suffered very much that winter. When we horses had worked half the day, we went to our dry stables and could rest, while they had to sit on their boxes, sometimes staying out as late as one or two o'clock in the morning if they had a party to wait for. When the streets were slippery with frost or snow, that was the worst of all for us horses. One mile of such travelling, with a weight to draw and no firm footing, would take more out of us than four on a good road. Every nerve and muscle of our bodies is on the strain to keep our balance. And added to this, the fear of falling is more exhausting than anything else. If the roads are very bad indeed, our shoes are roughed, but that makes us feel nervous at first. When the weather was very bad, many of the men would go and sit in the tavern close by, And get someone to watch for them, but they often lost a fare in that way, and could not, as Jerry said, be there without spending money. He never went to the Rising Sun. There was a coffee shop near where he now and then went, or he bought of an old man, who came to our rank with tins of hot coffee and pies. It was his opinion that spirits and beer made a man colder afterward, and that dry clothes, good food, Cheerfulness and a comfortable wife at home were the best things to keep a cabman warm. Polly always supplied him with something to eat when he could not get home, and sometimes he would see little Dolly peeping from the corner of the street to make sure if Father was on the stand. If she saw him, she would run off at full speed and soon come back with something in a tin or basket, some hot soup or pudding Polly had ready. It was wonderful how such a little thing could get safely across the street often thronged with horses and carriages, but she was a brave little maid and felt it quite an honor to bring father's first course, as he used to call it. She was a general favorite on the stand, and there was not a man who would not have seen her safely across the street if Jerry had not been able to do it. One cold, windy day, Dolly had brought Jerry a basin of something hot and was standing by him while he ate it, He had scarcely begun when a gentleman walking toward us very fast held up his umbrella. Jerry touched his hat in return, gave the basin to Dolly, and was taking off my cloth when the gentleman hastening up cried out, No, no, finish your soup, my friend. I have not much time to spare, but I can wait till you have done and set your little girl safe on the pavement. So saying, he seated himself in the cab. Jerry thanked him kindly and came back to Dolly. There, Dolly. That's a gentleman. That's a real gentleman, Dolly. He has got time and thought for the comfort of a poor cabman and a little girl. Jerry finished his soup, set the child across, and then took his orders to drive to Clapham Rise. Several times after that, the same gentleman took our cab. I think he was very fond of dogs and horses, for whenever we took him to his own door, two or three dogs would come bounding out to meet him. Sometimes he came round and patted me. "'saying in his quiet, pleasant way, "'This horse has got a good master, and he deserves it.' "'It was a very rare thing for anyone to notice the horse that had been working for him. "'I have known ladies to do it now and then, "'and this gentleman and one or two others have given me a pat and a kind word. "'But ninety-nine persons out of a hundred "'would as soon think of patting the steam engine that drew the train. "'The gentleman was not young,' And there was a forward stoop in his shoulders as if he was always going at something. His lips were thin and close shut, though they had a very pleasant smile. His eye was keen, and there was something in his jaw and the motion of his head that made one think he was very determined in anything he said about. His voice was pleasant and kind. Any horse would trust that voice, though it was just as decided as everything else about him. One day, he and another gentleman took our cab. They stopped at a shop. And while his friend went in, he stood at the door. A little ahead of us on the other side of the street, a cart with two very fine horses was standing before some wine vaults. The carter was not with them, and I cannot tell how long they had been standing, but they seemed to think they had waited long enough and began to move off. Before they had gone many paces, the carter came running out and caught them. He seemed furious at their having moved, and with whip and rein punished them brutally, even beating them about the head. Our gentleman saw it all, and stepping quickly across the street, said in a decided voice, If you don't stop that directly, I'll have you arrested for leaving your horses and for brutal conduct. The man, who had clearly been drinking, poured forth some abusive language, but he left off knocking the horses about and, taking the reins, got into his cart. Meantime, our friend had quietly taken a notebook from his pocket, and looking at the name and address painted on the cart, he wrote something down. "'What do you want with that?' growled the carter as he cracked his whip and was moving on. A nod and a grim smile was the only answer he got. On returning to the cab, our friend was joined by his companion who said laughingly, "'I should have thought, right? You had enough business of your own to look after "'without troubling yourself about other people's horses and servants.' Our friend stood still for a moment and throwing his head a little back. "'Do you know why this world is as bad as it is?' "'No,' said the other. "'Then I'll tell you. "'It is because people think only about their own business "'and won't trouble themselves to stand up for the oppressed "'nor bring the wrongdoer to light. "'I never see a wicked thing like this without doing what I can, "'and many a master has thanked me "'for letting him know how his horses have been used.' "'I wish there were more gentlemen like you, sir,' said Jerry, "'for they are wanted badly enough in this city.' "'After this, we continued our journey.' And as they got out of the cab, our friend was saying, My doctrine is this, that if we see cruelty or wrong that we have the power to stop and do nothing, we make ourselves sharers in the guilt. 39. C. D. Sam I should say that for a cab horse I was very well off indeed. My driver was my owner, and it was his interest to treat me well and not overwork me even had he not been so good a man as he was. But there were a great many horses which belonged to the large cab owners, who let them out to their drivers for so much money a day. As the horses did not belong to these men, the only thing they thought of was how to get their money out of them. First, to pay the master, and then to provide for their own living, and a dreadful time some of these horses had of it. Of course, I understood but little, but it was often talked over on the stand, and the governor, who was a kind-hearted man and fond of horses, would sometimes speak up if one came in very much jaded or ill-used. One day, a shabby, miserable-looking driver, who went by the name of Seedy Sam, brought in his horse looking dreadfully beat, and the governor said, "'You and your horse look more fit for the police station than for this rank.' The man flung his tattered rug over the horse, "'turned full round upon the Governor "'and said in a voice that sounded almost desperate, "'If the police have any business with the matter, "'it ought to be with the masters who charge us so much "'or with the fares that are fixed so low. "'If a man has to pay eighteen shillings a day "'for the use of a cab and two horses, "'as many of us have to do in the season, "'and must make that up before we earn a penny for ourselves, "'I say tis more than hard work.' Nine shillings a day to get out of each horse before you begin to get your own living. You know that's true. And if the horses don't work, we must starve. And I and my children have known what that is before now. I've six of them, and only one earns anything. I am on the stand 14 or 16 hours a day, and I haven't had a Sunday these 10 or 12 weeks. You know Skinner never gives a day if he can help it. And if I don't work hard... Tell me who does. I want a warm coat and a Macintosh, but with so many to feed, how can a man get it? I had to pledge my clock a week ago to pay Skinner, and I shall never see it again. Some of the other drivers stood round nodding their heads and saying he was right. The man went on. You that have your own horses and cabs, a drive for good masters, have a chance of getting on and a chance of doing right. I haven't. We can't charge more than six pence a mile after the first within the four-mile radius. This very morning I had to go a clear six miles and only took three shillings. I could not get a return fare and had to come all the way back. There's 12 miles for the horse and three shillings for me. After that, I had a three-mile fare and there were bags and boxes enough to have brought in a good many 2 if they had been put outside but you know how people do. All that could be piled up inside on a front seat were put in and three every boxes went on the top. That was sixpence and the fare one and sixpence. Then I got a return for a shilling. Now, that makes 18 miles for the horse and six shillings for me. There's three shillings still for that horse to earn and nine shillings for the afternoon horse before I touch a penny. Of course, it is not always so bad as that. But you know it often is. And I say 'tis a mockery to tell a man that he must not overwork his horse. For when a beast is downright tired, there's nothing but the whip that will keep his legs a-going. You can't help yourself. You must put your wife and your children before the horse. The masters must look to that. We well, can't. I don't ill-use my horse for the sake of it. None of you can say I do. There's wrong lies somewhere. Never a day's rest... Never a quiet hour with the wife and children. I often feel like an old man. I'm only 45. You know how quick some of the gentry are to suspect us of cheating and overcharging. Why they stand with their purses in their hands, counting it over to a penny, and looking at us as if we were pickpockets. I wish some of them had got to sit on my box 16 hours a day and get a living out of it, and 18 shillings beside. And that, in all weathers... They would not be so uncommon particular never to give us a sixpence over or to cram all the luggage inside. Of course, some of them tip us pretty handsome now and then, or else we could not live. But you can't depend on that. The men who stood round much approved this speech, and one of them said, It is desperate, odd. If a man sometimes does what is wrong, it is no wonder. And if he gets a dram too much, who's to blow him up. Jerry had taken no part in this conversation, but I never saw his face look so sad before. The governor had stood with both his hands in his pockets. Now he took his handkerchief out of his hat and wiped his forehead. You've beaten me some, he said, for it's all true, and I won't cast it up to you any more about the police. It was the look in that horse's eye that came over me. It is hard lines for man and it is hard lines for beast. "'And who's to mend it, I don't know. "'But anyway, you might tell the poor beast "'that you were sorry to take it out of him in that way. "'Sometimes a kind word is all we can give them, poor brutes. "'It is wonderful what they do understand.' "'A few mornings after this talk, "'a new man came on the stand with Sam's cab. "'Hello,' said one. "'What's up with seedy Sam?' "'He's ill in bed,' said the man, he was taken last night in the yard and could scarcely crawl home. His wife sent a boy this morning to say his father was in eye fever and could not get out, so I'm here instead. The next morning, the same man came again. How is Sam? inquired the governor. He's gone, said the man. What gone? You don't mean to say he's dead. Just snuffed out, said the other. He died at four o'clock this morning. All yesterday he was raving, raving about Skinner and having no Sundays. I never had a Sunday's rest. These were his last words. No one spoke for a while. And then the governor said, I'll tell you what, mates. This is a warning for us. 40. Poor Ginger. One day, while our cab and many others were waiting outside one of the parks where music was playing, a shabby old cab drove up beside ours. The horse was an old worn-out chestnut with an ill-kept coat and bones that showed plainly through it. The knees knuckled over, and the forelegs were very unsteady. I had been eating some hay, and the wind rolled a little lock of it that way. And the poor creature put out her long, thin neck and picked it up, and then turned and looked about for more. There was a hopeless look in the dull eye that I could not help noticing. And then, as I was thinking where I had seen that horse before, she looked full at me and said, "'Black Beauty, is that you?' "'It was Ginger, but how changed?' The beautifully arched and glossy neck was now straight and lank and fallen in. The clean, straight legs and delicate fetlocks were swelled. The joints were grown out of shape with hard work. The face, that was once so full of spirit and life, was now full of suffering. And I could tell by the heaving of her sides and her frequent cough how bad her breath was. Our drivers were standing together a little way off, So I sidled up to her a step or two, that we might have a little quiet talk. It was a sad tale that she had to tell. After a twelve-months' run off at Earl's Hall, she was considered to be fit for work again and was sold to a gentleman. For a little while she got on very well, but after a longer gallop than usual, the old strain returned, and after being rested and doctored, she was again sold. In this way, she changed hands several times, but always getting lower down. And so at last, said she, I was bought by a man who keeps a number of cabs and horses and lets them out. You look well off, and I am glad of it, but I could not tell you what my life has been. When they found out my weakness, they said I was not worth what they gave for me, and that I must go into one of the low cabs and just be used up. That is what they are doing. Whipping and working with never one thought of what I suffer. They paid for me. and must get it out of me, they say. The man who hires me now pays a deal of money to the owner every day. And so he has got to get it out of me too. And so it's all the week, round and round. With never a Sunday rest. I said, you used to stand up for yourself if you were ill-used. (sighs) Ah... "'She said, "'I did once, but it's no use. "'Men are strongest, and if they are cruel and have no feeling, "'there is nothing that we can do but just bear it. "'Bear it on and on to the end. "'I wish the end was come. "'I wish I was dead. "'I have seen dead horses, and I am sure they do not suffer pain.' I wish I may drop down dead at my work and not be sent off to the knackers. I was very much troubled, and I put my nose up to hers, but I could say nothing to comfort her. I think she was pleased to see me, for she said, You are the only friend I ever had. Just then her driver came up, and with a tug at her mouth backed her out of the line and drove off leaving me very sad indeed a short time after this a cart with a dead horse in it passed our cab stand the head hung out of the cart tail the lifeless tongue was slowly dropping with blood and the sunken eyes but I can't speak of them the sight was too dreadful it was a chestnut horse With a long, thin neck, I saw a white streak down the forehead. I believe it was Ginger. I hoped it was, for then her troubles would be over. Oh, if men were more merciful, they would shoot us before we came to such misery. 41. The Butcher I saw a great deal of trouble among the horses in London, and much of it might have been prevented by a little common sense. We horses do not mind hard work if we are treated reasonably, and I am sure there are many driven by quite poor men who have a happier life than I had when I used to go in the Countess of Westland's carriage with my silver-mounted harness and high feeding. It often went to my heart to see how the little ponies were used— straining along with heavy loads or staggering under heavy blows from some low, cruel boy. Once I saw a little grey pony with a thick mane and a pretty head, and so much like Merrylegs that if I had not been in harness I should have neighed to him. He was doing his best to pull a heavy cart, while a strong, rough boy was cutting him under the belly with his whip and chucking cruelly at his little mouth. Could it be Merrylegs? It was just like him. But then Mr. Bloomfield was never to sell him, and I think he would not do it. But this might have been quite as good a little fellow, and had as happy a place when he was young. I often noticed the great speed at which butchers' horses were made to go, though I did not know why it was so till one day when we had to wait some time in St. John's Wood. There was a butcher's shop next door. And as we were standing, a butcher's cart came dashing up at a great pace. The horse was hot and much exhausted. He hung his head down, while his heaving sides and trembling legs showed how hard he had been driven. The lad jumped out of the cart and was getting the basket when the master came out of the shop much displeased. After looking at the horse, he turned angrily to the lad. "'How many times shall I tell you not to drive in this way? You ruined the last horse and broke his wind.' and you're going to ruin this in the same way. If you were not my own son, I would dismiss you on the spot. It is a disgrace to have a horse brought to the shop in a condition like that. You are liable to be taken up by the police for such driving. And if you are, you need not look to me for bail, for I have spoken to you till I am tired. You must look out for yourself. During this speech, the boy had stood by, sullen and dogged, but when his father ceased, he broke out angrily. It wasn't his fault, and he wouldn't take the blame. He was only going by orders all the time. You always say, now be quick, now look sharp. And when I go to the houses, one wants a leg of mutton for an early dinner, and I must be back with it in a quarter of an hour. Another cook has forgotten to order the beef, I must go and fetch it and be back in no time, or the mistress will scold. And the housekeeper says they have company coming unexpectedly, and must have some chops sent up directly. "'and the lady at number four in the Crescent "'never orders her dinner till the meat comes in for lunch, "'and it is nothing but hurry, hurry all the time. "'If the gentry would think of what they want "'and order their meat the day before, "'there need not be this blow-up.' "'I wish to goodness they would,' said the butcher. "T'would save me a wonderful deal of Arras, "'and I could suit my customers much better if I knew beforehand. "'But there, what's the use of talking?' "'Whoever thinks of a butcher's convenience or a butcher's horse? "'Now then, take him in and look to him well. "'Mind it does not go out again today, "'and if anything else is wanted, you must carry it yourself in a basket.' "'With that, he went in, and the horse was led away. "'But all boys are not cruel. "'I have seen some as fond of their pony or donkey as if it had been a favourite dog, "'and the little creatures have worked away as cheerfully and willingly "'for their young drivers as I worked for Jerry.' It may be hard work sometimes, but a friend's hand and voice make it easy. There was a young coster boy who came up our street with greens and potatoes. He had an old pony, not very handsome, but the cheerfulest and pluckiest little thing I ever saw. And to see how fond those two were of each other was a treat. The pony followed his master like a dog, and when he got into his cart he would trot off without a whip or a word and rattle down the street as merrily as if he had come out of the queen's stables. Jerry liked the boy and called him Prince Charlie, for he said he would make a king of drivers someday. There was an old man, too, who used to come up our street with a little coal cart. He wore a coal heaver's hat and looked rough and black. He and his old horse used to plod together along the street, like two good partners who understood each other. The horse would stop of his own accord at the doors where they took coal of him. He used to keep one ear bent toward his master. The old man's cry could be heard up the street long before he came near. I never knew what he said, but the children called him Old Ba'a'arhu, for it sounded like that. Polly took her coal of him and was very friendly, and Jerry said it was a comfort to think how happy an old horse might be in a poor place. 42. The Election As we came into the yard one afternoon... Polly came out. Jerry, I've had Mr Brown here asking about your vote, and he wants to hire your cab for the election. He will call for an answer. Well, Polly, you may say that my cab will be otherwise engaged. I should not like to have it pistered over with their great bills. And as to making Jack and Captain Rice about to the public houses to bring up half-drunken voters, why, I think would be an insult to the horses. No, I shan't do it. I suppose you will vote for the gentleman. He said he was of your politics. So he is in some things, but I shall not vote for him, Polly. You know what his trade is? Yes. Well, a man who gets rich by that trade may be all very well in some ways, but he is blind as to what working men want. I cannot in my conscience send him up to make the laws. I dare say it'll be angry, but every man must do what he thinks to be the best for his country. On the morning before the election, Jerry was putting me into the shafts when Dolly came into the yard sobbing and crying, with her little blue frock and white pinafore spattered all over with mud. Why, Dolly, what is the matter? Those naughty boys, she sobbed, have thrown the dirt all over me and call me a little ragger, ragger. They call her a little blue ragamuffin, father, said Harry, who ran in looking very angry. But I have given it to him. They won't insult my sister again. I have given them a thrashing they will remember. A set of cowardly, rascally, orange blackguards. Jerry kissed the child and said, Run into mother, my pet, and tell her I think you had better stay at home today and help her. Then turning gravely to Harry, My boy, I hope you will always defend your sister and give anybody who insults her a good thrashing. That is as it should be. But mind, I won't have any election blackguarding on my premises. There are as many blue blackguards as there are orange, and as many white as there are purple, or any other colour, and I won't have any of my family mixed up with it. Even women and children are ready to quarrel for the sake of a colour, and not one in ten of them knows what it is about. My father, I thought blue was for liberty. My boy, liberty does not come from colours. They only show party. And all the liberty you can get out of them is... Liberty to get drunk at other people's expense. Liberty to ride to the pole in a dirty old cab. Liberty to abuse anyone that does not wear your colour. And to shout yourself hoarse at what you only half understand. That's your liberty. Oh, father, you are laughing. No, Harry, I am serious. And I am ashamed to see how men go on who ought to know better. An election is a very serious thing. At least it ought to be. And every man ought to vote according to his conscience. And that is nigh but do the same. 43. A friend in need. The election day came at last. There was no lack of work for Jerry and me. First came a stout, puffy gentleman with a carpet bag. He wanted to go to the Bishop's Gate station. Then we were called by a party who wished to be taken to the Regent's Park. And next, we were wanted in a side street, where a timid, anxious old lady was waiting to be taken to the bank. There we had to stop to take her back again. And just as we had set her down, a red-faced gentleman with a handful of papers came running up out of breath. And before Jerry could get down, he had opened the door, popped himself in, and called out, Bow Street Police Station, quick! So off we went with him, and when after another turn or two we came back, there was no other cab on the stand. Jerry put on my nose bag, for as he said, We must eat when we can on such days as these, so munch away, Jack, and make the best of your time, old boy. I found I had a good feed of crushed oats wetted up with a little bran. This would be a treat any day, but very refreshing then. Jerry was so thoughtful and kind... What horse would not do his best for such a master? Then he took out one of Polly's meat pies, and standing near me he began to eat it. The streets were very full, and the cabs with the candidates' colors on them were dashing about through the crowd as if life and limb were of no consequence. We saw two people knocked down that day, and one was a woman. The horses were having a bad time of it, poor things. But the voters inside thought nothing of that. Many of them were half drunk hurrahing out of the cab windows if their own party came by. It was the first election I had seen, and I don't want to be in another, though I have heard things are better now. Jerry and I had not eaten many mouthfuls before a poor young woman, carrying a heavy child, came along the street. She was looking this way and that way and seemed quite bewildered. Presently she made her way up to Jerry and asked if he could tell her the way to St. Thomas's Hospital and how far it was to get there. She had come from the country that morning, she said, in a market cart. She did not know about the election and was quite a stranger in London. She had got an order for the hospital for her little boy. The child was crying with a feeble, pining cry. Poor little fellow, she said. He suffers a great deal of pain. He is four years old and can't walk any more than a baby. But the doctor said if I could get him into the hospital, he might get well. Pray, sir, how far is it? In which way is it? Why, missus, said Jerry, you can't get there walking through crowds like this. Why, it is three miles away, and that child is heavy. Yes, bless him he is, but I am strong, thank God, and if I knew the way, I think I should get on somehow. Please, tell me the way. You can't do it, said Jerry. You might be knocked down and the child be run over. Now look here, Just get into this cab, and I'll drive you safe to the hospital. Don't you see the rain is coming on? No, sir, no. I can't do that, thank you. I have only just money enough to get back with. Please, tell me the way. Look you here, missus, said Jerry. I've got a wife and dear children at home, and I know a father's feelings. Now get you into that cab, and I'll take you there for nothing.' I'd be ashamed of myself to let a woman and a sick child run a risk like that. Heaven bless you, said the woman, and burst into tears. There, there. Cheer up, my dear. I'll soon take you there. Come, let me put you inside. As Jerry went to open the door, two men, with colours in their hats and buttonholes, ran up, calling out, Cab! Engaged, cried Jerry. But one of the men... Pushing past the woman, sprang into the cab, followed by the other. Jerry looked as stern as a policeman. "'This cab is already engaged, gentlemen, by that lady.' "'Lady!' said one of them. "'Oh, she can wait. Our business is very important. Besides, we were in first. It is our right, and we shall stay in.' A droll smile came over Jerry's face as he shut the door upon them. "'All right, gentlemen?' "'Pray, stay in as long as it suits you. "'I can wait while you rest yourselves.' "'And turning his back upon them, "'he walked up to the young woman who was standing near me. "'They'll soon be gone,' he said, laughing. "'Don't trouble yourself, my dear.' "'And they soon were gone, "'for when they understood Jerry's dodge, they got out, "'calling him all sorts of bad names "'and blustering about his number and getting a summons. "'After this little stoppage, "'we were soon on our way to the hospital.' "'going as much as possible through by-streets. "'Jerry rung the great bell and helped the young woman out. "'Thank you a thousand times,' she said. "'I could never have got here alone. "'You're kindly welcome, "'and I hope the dear child will soon be better.' "'He watched her go in at the door, "'and gently he said to himself, "'Inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of these.' "'Then he patted my neck,' which was always his way when anything pleased him. The rain was now coming down fast, and just as we were leaving the hospital, the door opened again, and the porter called out, "'Cab!' We stopped, and a lady came down the steps. Jerry seemed to know her at once. She put back her veil and said, "'Barker? Jeremiah Barker? Is it you? I am very glad to find you here. You are just the friend I want, for it is very difficult to get a cab in this part of London today.' "'I shall be proud to serve you, ma'am. "'I am right glad I happen to be here. "'Where may I take you to, ma'am?' "'To the Paddington station. "'And then, if we are in good time, as I think we shall be, "'you shall tell me all about Mary and the children.' "'We got to the station in good time, "'and being under shelter, the lady stood a good while talking to Jerry. "'I found she had been Polly's mistress, "'and after many inquiries about her, she said, "'How do you find the cab work suits you in winter?' I know Mary was rather anxious about you last year. Yes, ma'am, she was. I had a bad cough that followed me up quite into the warm weather. And when I am kept out late, she does worry herself a good deal. You see, ma'am, it is all hours and all weathers, and that does try a man's constitution. But I am getting on pretty well, and I should feel quite lost if I had not horses to look after. I was brought up to it, and I am afraid I should not do so well at anything else. Well, Barker, she said, it would be a great pity that you should seriously risk your health in this work, not only for your own, but for Mary's and the children's sake. There are many places where good drivers or good grooms are wanted, and if ever you think you ought to give up this cab work, let me know. Then, sending some kind messages to Mary, she put something into his hand, saying, There is five shillings each for the two children. Mary will know how to spend it. Jerry thanked her and seemed much pleased, and turning out of the station, we at last reached home, and I, at least, was tired. 44. Old Captain and His Successor. Captain and I were great friends. He was a noble old fellow, and he was very good company. I never thought that he would have to leave his home and go down the hill, but his turn came and this was how it happened. I was not there, but I had heard all about it. He and Jerry had taken a party to the Great Railway Station over London Bridge and were coming back, somewhere between the bridge and the monument, when Jerry saw a brewer's empty dray coming along, drawn by two powerful horses. The drayman was lashing his horses with his heavy whip. The dray was light, and they started off at a furious rate. The man had no control over them, and the street was full of traffic. One young girl was knocked down and run over, and the next moment they dashed up against our cab. Both the wheels were torn off and the cab was thrown over. Captain was dragged down, the shaft splintered, and one of them ran into his side. Jerry, too, was thrown, but was only bruised. Nobody could tell how he escaped. He always said 'twas a miracle. When poor Captain was got up, he was found to be very much cut and knocked about. Jerry led him home gently. "'and a sad sight it was to see the blood soaking into his white coat "'and dropping from his side and shoulder. "'The drayman was proved to be very drunk and was fined, "'and the brewer had to pay damages to our master. "'But there was no one to pay damages to poor captain. "'The farrier and Jerry did the best they could "'to ease his pain and make him comfortable. "'The fly had to be mended, "'and for several days I did not go out, "'and Jerry earned nothing.' the first time we went to the stand after the accident, the Governor came up to hear how Captain was. he will never get over it,' said Jerry. "'At least not for my work. "'So the farrier said this morning. "'He says he may do for carting and that sort of work. "'It has put me out very much. "'Carting, indeed. "'I've seen what horses come to at that work round London. "'I only wish all the drunkards could be put in a lunatic asylum "'instead of being allowed to run foul of sober people.' If they would break their own bones and smash their own carts and lame their own horses, that would be their own affair, and we might let them alone. But it seems to me that the innocent always suffer, and then they talk about compensation. You can't make compensation, there's all the trouble and vexation and loss of time, besides losing a good horse that's been like an old friend. It's nonsense talking of compensation. If there's one devil that I should like to see in a bottomless pit more than another... "'It's the drink devil.' "'I say, Jerry,' said the governor, "'you are treading pretty hard on my toes, you know. "'I'm not so good as you are. "'More shame to me. I wish I was.' "'Well,' said Jerry, "'why don't you cut with it, governor? "'You are too good a man to be the slave of such a thing. "'I am a great fool, Jerry, but I tried once for two days, "'and I thought I should have died. "'How did you do?' I had hard work here it for several weeks. You see, I never did get drunk, but I found that I was not my own master, and that when the Craven came on, it was hard work to say no. I saw that one of us must knock under, the drink devil or Jerry Barker, and I said that it should not be Jerry Barker. God helping me, but it was a struggle, and I wanted all the help I could get, for till I tried to break the abbot, I did not know how strong it was. But then... Polly took such pains that I should have good food and when the Craven came on I used to get a cup of coffee or some peppermint or read a bit in my book and that was an help to me. Sometimes I had to say over and over to myself give up the drink or lose your soul give up the drink or break Polly's heart. But thanks be to God and my dear wife my chains were broken and now for ten years I have not tasted a drop and never wish for it. I've a great mind to try at it, said Grant, for 'tis a poor thing not to be one's own master. Do, Governor, do. You'll never repent it. And what an help it would be to some of the poor fellows in our rank if they saw you do without it. I know there's two or three would like to keep out of that tavern if they could. At first, Captain seemed to do well, but he was a very old horse, and it was only his wonderful constitution and Jerry's care that had kept him up at the cab work so long. Now he broke down very much. The farrier said he might mend up enough to sell for a few pounds, but Jerry said no. A few pounds got by selling a good old servant into hard work and misery would canker all the rest of his money, and he thought the kindest thing he could do for the fine old fellow would be to put a sure bullet through his head, and then he would never suffer more for he did not know where to find a kind master for the rest of his days. The day after this was decided, Harry took me to the forge for some new shoes. When I returned, Captain was gone. I and the family all felt it very much. Jerry had now to look out for another horse, and he soon heard of one through an acquaintance who was undergroom in a nobleman's stables. He was a valuable young horse, but he had run away, "'smashed into another carriage, flung his lordship out, "'and so cut and blemished himself "'that he was no longer fit for a gentleman's stables, "'and the coachman had orders to look round "'and sell him as well as he could. "'I can do with high spirits,' said Jerry, "'if an horse is not vicious or hard-mouthed. "'There is not a bit of vice in him,' said the man. "'His mouth is very tender.' and I think myself that was the cause of the accident. You see, he had just been clipped, and the weather was bad, and he had not had exercise enough, and when he did go out, he was as full of spring as a balloon. Our governor, the coachman I mean, had him honest in as tight and strong as he could, with the martingale and the check rein a very sharp curb, and the reins put in at the bottom bar. It is my belief that it made the horse mad, being tender in the mouth and so full of spirit. Likely enough... "'I'll come and see him,' said Jerry. "'The next day, Hotspur, that was his name, came home. "'He was a fine brown horse without a white hair in him, "'as tall as captain, with a very handsome head, "'and only five years old. "'I gave him a friendly greeting by way of good fellowship, "'but did not ask him any questions. "'The first night, he was very restless. "'Instead of lying down, he kept jerking his halter rope "'up and down through the ring,' and knocking the block about against the manger till I could not sleep. However, the next day, after five or six hours in the cab, he came in quiet and sensible. Jerry padded and talked to him a good deal, and very soon they understood each other, and Jerry said that with an easy bit and plenty of work, he would be as gentle as a lamb, and that it was an ill wind that blew nobody good. For if his lordship had lost a hundred guinea favorite, the cabman had gained a good horse with all his strength in him. Hotspur thought it a great come down to be a cab horse and was disgusted at standing in the rank, but he confessed to me at the end of the week that an easy mouth and a free head made up for a great deal, and after all, the work was not so degrading as having one's head and tail fastened to each other at the saddle. In fact, he settled in well, and Jerry liked him very much. Thank you, again, for continuing to join us for each episode of Storylight. And if you're new to us, we send you the warmest welcome. Whether you're a new listener or an old friend, we at Storylight would be very grateful if you would subscribe to the podcast and give it a nice rating and review on whatever platform you listen. More than that, though... We would love for more people to be able to enjoy these stories. So please, tell a friend about us. You are my joy. You are my happy thoughts. We'll see you next time.